Bill's going to come and read for us. Today's reading is from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31, which can be found in page 1096 of the Pew Bibles. Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Thanks, Bill, for reading for us. Good morning, everyone. Shall I pray for us? We pray. Father, you are so good and gracious. Thank you for your words. Please now would you take it and, and speak to us of your goodness and draw us to yourself as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, well how do you feel when you, when you get an invitation? It's exciting, isn't it? I mean, what's, what's it going to be? Um, a wedding? A birthday party? A a posh dinner, there are so many exciting possibilities, aren't there? So, so what's your reaction when you, when you open it up and you, you find, oh, it's an invitation to a prayer meeting. Is that what you were hoping for? Well, I'm sorry to say that that's exactly what this morning's sermon is. It's, it's an invitation to a prayer meeting. That's, that's what we've been eavesdropping on in our Bible reading just now, isn't it? And, and while I guess for, for some of us, we might be excited about that invitation, I imagine for lots of us, the feeling, well, it's probably more likely to be, oh, 
Because, yes, we know that meeting to pray with other Christians is important, but just don't enjoy it very much, if we're honest. It, it can be an effort, can't it? It can be a bit awkward, and, and often we'd, we'd rather be doing something else. So getting an invitation like that, well, it leaves us feeling guilty. And thinking about prayer can often do that, can't it? In fact, it's been said that no sermon about prayer is really complete without at least one quote to make you feel really guilty. So, not to disappoint you, here's today's. Charles Spurgeon, the 19th century Baptist preacher, said this. The condition of the church may be very accurately gauged by its prayer meetings. So, he says, is the prayer meeting a grace-ometer? And from it, we may judge of the amount of divine working among a people. It's quite a thought, isn't it? That, that the spiritual health of a church family can be measured by how we pray together. And when you turn to the book of Acts that um, Bill just read us a bit from, Luke's account of the birth and growth of Christ's church, well, it seems right. Because everywhere you look in the book of Acts, you find prayer meetings. From the moment they see Jesus ascend into heaven, the disciples, those first disciples, Acts 1.14, it says, all join together constantly in prayer. And after 13 are added to the church on the day of Pentecost, we're told that those new believers devoted themselves to prayer. And on it goes. At least 20 times in the book, believers pray together. They pray in the temple and in people's homes, at the beach, by the river, in a prison cell, and on a ship in the middle of a storm. Everywhere we see God's grace at work and the church growing, we also find those first Christians gathering to pray. So what about here at Christchurch? Where would you put our corporate praying on that scale? A green Amber? Red? And what would we need to do to shift that dial corporately this year? Only if you listen carefully, maybe you spotted what was wrong with that last question. Because if Spurgeon's right, then prayer is a grace-ometer. And God's grace, it isn't something that we work up through our effort, is it? No, it's God's gift. Come down to us through Jesus. And so if that is what prayer is, well then this picture in Acts of God's people devoted to praying together, well then it's not a stick to drive us to, to guilty striving, must do better this year. No. It's an invitation to see how God's powerful grace can change very ordinary Christians who trust him. And so let's open this invitation a bit together this morning by visiting that prayer meeting in, in Acts chapter 4. Hopefully you've got that still in front of you. And see what God is inviting us to let him do anytime we gather together to pray. So three things for us to see. And the first is this. It's an invitation to find your place in God's story. 
One reason I think that many of us struggle with the whole idea of praying together is the story that our culture is constantly telling us that we're in. Because it's a story of individualism that tells us that life is all about my self-discovery and self-fulfillment. One way to think about it is as, as the hero's journey. You know, the brave individual who finds themselves as they overcome every obstacle and achieve their true destiny. That's the story we're being told everywhere, isn't it? Whether you're at school or in your workplace or you're planning your retirement. You do you. Chase your goals. Reach for the stars. It's the plot of almost every Disney movie and every career development plan. And if that's the story that I'm in, well then, why would I need to meet to pray with others? Especially if it's, it's not really my thing or it doesn't fit with my agenda. But did you notice in Acts 4, as these believers gather to pray, they place themselves in a very different story. The context is one of huge threat. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John have miraculously healed a man outside the temple. And then they preach the good news to the astonished crowds. And the religious authorities have come down hard. They've arrested them. They've ordered them to cease and desist on pain of something nasty happening to them. As those same authorities made sure had happened to Jesus only weeks before. And so, verse 23, the apostles report those threats back to the church. And as, in response, those believers raise their voice together in prayer, did you notice, verse 25, they place themselves in a story. God's inspired story, told by the Holy Spirit through King David in Psalm 2. Yes, a story with a hero. But it's not me. It's God's anointed one. Do you see that? His Messiah, his king. It's the story of sinful human hostility to that rightful king. Furious and organized and powerful hostility. And ultimately, in vain. As God's plans are fulfilled and God's king is enthroned. It's the true story of the world, promised by God in the Old Testament. That verse 27, these believers know, has now come to pass in the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And because all who trust in Jesus are united to him, well, then these believers know his story has become their story. So they're not surprised when the world is hostile to them as it was to him. When following their king means suffering in his name on the way to sharing his glory. And what about us? How do you react when trouble comes into your life? Unexpected hardship or suffering or rejection? Maybe that person at school who hates you for being a Christian. How do you react? Well, do you see that the story that you think you're in makes a difference? If you're trying to live out your own personal hero's journey, well, then you're likely to feel crushed and bewildered, aren't you? Why are you doing this to me, God? But you know, if you belong to Jesus, 
then that's not your true story. And one reason God in his grace invites us to join together in prayer is to help us remember the shared story that we're all in. That we're not independent individuals, but one people, incorporated together by Jesus into his salvation story. And that means that following Jesus often won't be easy, because we're in a spiritual battle together. And we need each other's prayers to help us keep going. But it also means that even in the hardest struggle, life isn't hopeless. Because we're united to a king whose victory is certain. And that means you can pray for me with faith, especially when my own faith is faltering. Praying together is one way God sustains his often weary, embattled people in a fallen world. It's God's invitation to find our place in his story. And then secondly, it's an invitation to trust your life to God's hand. Because see who those believers know is writing their story, verse 24, the sovereign Lord who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. The creator God whose awesome hand constructed every constellation in our vast universe and who handcrafted every single subatomic particle in your body out of nothing, made everything. That phrase, sovereign Lord, it's translating a Greek word from which we get the term despot. And you know what that is? A a ruler with absolute, unchallengeable power. And you know too, don't you, that a despot is usually a terrifying thing. History has shown us again and again the appalling evil that a person can do with absolute power like that. Nazi Germany, Stalinist Russia, North Korea today, all of of them telling us the very last thing you ever want to do is trust trust your life to a despot. Except for this one. The only one who wields his utterly unchallengeable power only ever with perfect, unchangeable goodness. And that is the God that we speak to Anytime we pray. The God we were hearing last week has adopted us as his beloved children in Jesus so that we can call him Father. When I walked my seven-year-old daughter to Brownies this week, she held my hand. She's getting bigger now, so she doesn't do that very often. It's not really very cool, but, but she did it then because it was dark. And there might be all kinds of unknown, frightening things waiting for her out there in the dark that she knows are too big for her to handle. So in that moment, what does she do? Well, she, she reaches up and she puts her trust in her dad, whose hand is near and feels reassuringly strong. And of course, she's already learning, isn't she, how, how limited her dad's strength really is. All the things I can't do and won't be able to help her with, that's what happens when you grow up, isn't it? But I hope you realize that that's not how you grow up as a Christian believer. 
No, there it's, it's exactly the opposite. Growing up to realize that the Father who loves us is also the sovereign Lord who will never be overpowered or taken by surprise or unable to help. And so whose hand is always good news to put ours into. That hand that holds under his perfect control even the very worst of things. Did you see? That's what these believers remind each other of as they pray. Conscious of threats, very real, very near. See that? As they describe, verse 27, the perpetrators of, well, of the most evil event in human history, the murder of Jesus, the innocent, infinitely good Son of God. And notice what they say, verse 28, that those plotters and murderers, they did what your power, and that's literally what your hand and will had decided before should happen. Do you get that? Even there, as sinful human beings freely and willfully crucified their creator, their evil acts were perfectly carrying out his good plans. Because his sovereign hand holds it all without ever being tainted by it. Uses every evil to serve the saving good of his precious people. It's mind-boggling, isn't it? And mysterious. But it's also the best news in the world. And every time we pray together, we're helping each other to trust this sovereign Lord. Because often it's too hard to do on our own, isn't it? When the threats just feel too big and the nights feel too dark and you can't believe that anyone could possibly help. And that's when we need a brother or a sister to pray and remind us of the mighty hand of our Father there with us so that we again can put our own tiny, trembling hand into his And then finally, see an invitation to be turned inside out for God's mission. In verse 29, this prayer group, they they finally get to, to asking God to do something, don't they? Verse 29, see that? Now, Lord, consider their threats and what? How would you have wanted to pray? Keep us safe. Make sure nothing bad happens to us. Yeah, yeah, help, help Peter and John to be brave, but, but help the rest of us to keep our heads down. Those wouldn't be unreasonable prayers to pray, would they? With, with murderous authorities breathing down their necks. But no, instead, do you see, they pray, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Because God's grace, do you see, is at work as his people pray together, changing our natural prayers for comfort and safety into something supernatural. Prayers for courage to stand firm and bear witness to the Lord, even if it costs both comfort and safety. And that is a miracle prayer. I wonder what you made of of verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
can we still pray prayers like that? I mean, are we that kind of church? Yes, I think we can. The sovereign Lord of heaven and earth isn't the small prayers God that we can often reduce him to. We should pray big prayers and ask him to work miracles. But see too, that that language of God's hand stretched out and of signs and wonders, see where it comes from. Because it's the language of Exodus, of God's miraculous rescue of his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so I think these believers are praying here for God's promised second exodus, that God would reach out and rescue his people in his final great salvation work in Jesus. And they're praying that God would use even them as part of that rescue mission. And I think that's the miracle that Luke really wants to spotlight for us at the end of this prayer meeting. Not the shaking of the room, did you notice that? Dramatic as I'm sure it was. But the shaking of these believers' lives. As at the end of verse 31, their prayers are answered and they're filled afresh with his spirit and they all speak the word of God boldly. Look, says Luke, look at the miracles God works when we pray together. He even changes our hearts. Turns fearful, tongue-tied, keep your head down, believers, into bold witnesses to Christ. Takes very ordinary disciples like you and me, whose priorities naturally revolve, well, all around ourselves, don't they? My needs, my goals, my safety and fulfillment. Takes them and turns us inside out. So that we're willing to start taking the risk of talking to that friend or colleague or family member about Jesus as we're graciously drawn by the Lord out into his great rescue mission. Maybe like me, you feel pretty hopeless at sharing your faith and and you struggle to believe that that will ever change, that God could ever use you. I mean, that would take a miracle. And you're right. It would take the kind of God who promises to do extraordinary things as we do the very ordinary thing of gathering together to pray. So praying together, it's an invitation to find our place in God's story, to trust our lives to God's hand and to be turned inside out for God's mission. So how as we close might we RSVP to that invitation? Well, two ideas. First, why not plan to come to our monthly church family prayer meeting? Sounds obvious, doesn't it? But but in this coming year, why not make a commitment to try and be there every time? If you've maybe got out of the habit or if you've never ever been, and maybe if you hate the idea, because you don't like praying out loud, you, you feel self-conscious, and you know you can't pray clever enough sounding prayers. Well, if that's you, please come, because you're part of the family and you're needed. And will you trust the Lord, trust his invitation and come and see how he might use your simple, 
stumbling prayers to be at work this year in you and in the lives of your brothers and sisters. Plan to come to church family prayer. And then secondly, grab spontaneous moments to pray with another believer. Wherever you are, as you, as you chat after the service this morning, in your small group during the week, pathfinders and graftees at school, in our homes, out in the streets. When you're with someone who shares something hard that they're facing, ask if you can pray with them. And go for it. Right there, right then. Yes, it probably will feel weird and a bit uncomfortable or awkward, but take the risk. Grab the opportunity. Church family, this year, let's respond to the Lord's invitation for his grace to be at work in us as we pray together. I'm going to give us a moment now to just pray by ourselves in the quietness of our own hearts. And then David is going to come and continue to lead us. But let's have a moment to pray.